Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. Hopefully, you guys are already at Ephesians 5. I do have three goals tonight, um, two verses and three goals, and the first one is this, that you leave here completely overwhelmed by God, completely overwhelmed. Number two, to teach you how to rest in who God is as you behold him, literally to adore, to stare at, to be marveled by God. Thirdly, to show you how beholding him will lead you to becoming like him. And here's the point, too. He doesn't just want to make us more like Jesus and make us more like God just for the sake of doing it. He wants you to glorify him primarily, but also it's because people are dying to know who our God is. I don't mean dying as in people seek him because no one seeks him on their own. But people are literally dying without knowing our God, and he has called us to behold him in his beauty and his glory and then become like him so that our character is changed so that when people see us, they interact with us, they get a glimpse of our God. And we get to reflect that to our campus and our city, who God is. If you know me at all, you know that I am a natural cheerleader, over-encourager, and annoying group texter. Um, or if you know me, you know, maybe a little longer, you've experienced this, you have probably seen me get way too excited about something that you don't think really matters. You guys raise a hand. Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, like you're like that literally, there's no way anybody should get that excited over this. Yet I do. Something in my character. But here is the most incredible thing about tonight. We get to take a deep look at who God is And we are dealing with something or someone that I literally cannot over-exaggerate. I can't wait. Like, I cannot paint a big enough picture to even scratch the surface about how good and how glorious our God is. And I get to do it for an entire evening of a sermon, and it's going to be one of my favorite nights of the whole week, the whole whole semester and the week. Um, So let's look at verse 1 and 2, okay? Here's all we're going over tonight. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, right off the bat, just look at this first phrase, therefore be imitators of God. We are commanded to be like God. We are supposed to give our lives to know what he is like and then display it to the world through our lives. I'm going to reiterate, people need to know what God is like. They need to know. And if they're not going to read the Bible, which is where they're primarily going to know what he is like, they've got to see glimpses of who he is through us. Jesus literally says that people are going to know that God is real by the way that we love each other and the way that we have unity. And that's because it's showing a glimpse of who this God is so people can know him. God wants his glory and his character to be on display throughout the entire world. That's the mission that we're on. You see, the point of ministry is not just to reach people. 
The point of ministry is to get people to glorify and worship our God. People need to know. And they are not going to be able to glorify someone they do not know. But he goes on. He says, be imitators of God as, it's really key here, as beloved children. We cannot forget our identity in this. We're not just given commands and then told to just go get our act together. It's not what he does. We're given the command, imitate God, but we do that as people who are beloved children. We are invited to be like our Heavenly Father. We get to look like our dad. Let me show this picture real quick. You guys haven't got a chance to know him. Uh, that is Duke. That's my son. Um, and he looks like me. It's great. Obviously, a way cuter, smaller version of me and beardless, but he does look like me. And I'm not just showing you this adorable picture because I love him and I'm up front and can put whatever I want up there. I also really do have a point here of showing you this. That this little boy does look like me and whether I like it or not, he is going to act like me. Children will in a healthy parental relationship, sometimes even in unhealthy ones, will naturally start to look like and act like their parents. So as I wrestle with him and read with him and spend time with him and pray over him, and as he watches me, as he beholds his dad, he is going to become like me. And there's another incredible truth here about parents and there's a gospel point here that if you will actually believe this about your Heavenly Father, it will change you. Um, I heard this illustration before from another pastor, and I, I think it really will serve us well. Um, when I'm thinking about Duke growing up, there's certain things that I want him to be able to do. Um, I want him to imitate me in things. And one of them is here in about eight months, I want him to walk like me. I can walk. I want him to be able to walk. Now, let's imagine we're seven months from now, he's starting to take his first steps, okay? And we're all excited. He takes like one step, two step, and then he just falls. Do you think that my reaction is going to be to stand over him and scream at him for being such a dumb baby who can't walk? <laughs> no way. I'm not going to say, how can you not walk? There's a billion people on the earth that can walk, and you can't. Why are you not walking? That is not how a good dad reacts to his son. So am I going to be a good dad who celebrates the steps and the progress? Or am I going to be an evil dad who only stares at the mistakes and just screams at his little boy because he can't get it right? Many of us view our sanctification like our Heavenly Father is an evil dad. Like we're performing for a dad who only cares about himself. But you have to remember, we are beloved children. And even whenever you fall, if you are in Christ, he is going to celebrate the steps. Of course there's discipline. Of course there is, um, he is not pleased with sin. We know these things. But he is is purposefully, lovingly going to walk you along as you become more like him. Uh, Tony, put that verse back up. Let's finish this out. Um, it says that we are to walk in love. You see this? The ultimate expression of showing the world who God is and what it is like to walk like him is to love him and then love other people. 
Never forget that our faith and its ultimate expression of authentic Jesus-following faith is to love others. And it says not just to love, walk in love, it shows us what that walking in love looks like and he points us to the cross. The ultimate demonstration of his love is shown in full by the cross and resurrection. The perfect image of God, Jesus, coming to show us what he is like and then dying for all the ways that we fail him. So here's what you need to know. That God wants his image out in the world. We were made in his image in our sin. We broke that image. Jesus came to perfectly image God to the world. He died for all the ways that we break his image in sin. And when he resurrected and when he saved you, he started you on a process of becoming more like him. And as you behold him is when you become like him. I'm not making this up. I want to show you two verses really quickly. Um, Second, the first one is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Read this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding, behold, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Notice this. The process of becoming more like Jesus is through beholding Him. A work of the Spirit that opens our eyes to His glory, and then we change. We're being transformed as we behold him. 1 John 3, 2 says it this way. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, talking about second coming of Jesus, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Notice, we already belong to God, but we haven't seen the fullest expression of becoming like Jesus yet. But we can know that when we see him, we will become like him. We become like him by seeing him. In part now, but one day in full, we'll be able to image God perfectly because sin will be gone. So that's what we're going to do tonight. That's the end of the exposition of those two verses. But I'm going to do something a little different tonight that I'm praying will be helpful because here's the thing, you're not going to behold God unless you know about him. And the way we know about him, as we've already discussed, is through his word. And his word is all about Jesus dying and rising for his glory. So I'm actually going to rely really heavily on a resource um, called God's Attributes by a guy named Brad Hambrick. Um, I would recommend all of you reading this. Hopefully you've got a handout on your way in. Um, has a little wheel. Did you guys all get that? And you can look at that now. Um, this is a pocket reference to give you something to remember tonight by and kind of guide your prayers going forward. Um, but what we're going to do is behold God tonight by celebrating his attributes. I can't wait for this. We're going to take all of his attributes one by one, stare at them just for a moment. We're not going to be here until 11 o'clock, okay? We could, but we're not going to do that. And we're going to look at what it means for us, how we're supposed to imitate them, and then what it means for people who are not yet in Christ. And remember, the point of Christianity, listen, you've got to know this. The point is behold, not behave. What we point people to is our God. And as he transforms them is when their, their desires are changed and their obedience comes with it and they become like him. So, let's look at the first one. You should see a little circle in the middle is God's holiness. God's holiness is all of his attributes operating in perfect 
harmony, and unity. It's not just moral perfection. His holiness is his perfections, his glory, and his beauty. All of the attributes, even the hard ones we don't like, all of them perfectly in line with each other. One God, three persons, perfection. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5 shows it this way. I love this. In the year that King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. So we get a glimpse of Jesus on his throne. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, that's a type of angel. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. His holiness, his perfection, his otherness from us should humble you into desperate worship. And later in this scene in Isaiah 6, God will, the same God who's high and lifted up in this scene will say, who will go for me and proclaim my glory to the nations? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. So his holiness and his glory should not just humble you, it should make you eager to use your life for others to see his glory because he is holy. Now, for the rest of his attributes, which basically just show different degrees of the beauty of his holiness. There's four quadrants, okay? You see those should be on the, like the second ring on your handout. Um, four quadrants of his attributes. We have the attributes of love. We have the attributes of essence, attributes of wisdom, attributes of power. Now, you need all of these, but I am praying, and how I've been praying going into this message is that there might be a certain struggle that you are having that is perfectly answered and helped by one of these attributes. So keep your ears open. Let's start with the attributes of love. The first one is this. Our God is personal. He's personal. He is able to relate personally to his creation, and he does. He is interested, and he cares, and he is personally present. Every detail matters to him. He can sympathize with our struggles. He is active, and he is involved. We can praise him for this. Look, let's look at his word. I want you to take my word for it. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you have more value than they. This is beautiful. Do you realize that the God that we worship high and lifted up knows how many hairs you have? Please don't get bored of that. Don't just let that be cliche. Somehow the God of the universe has numbered them all. He's personal. What does that mean for us? This means that we can rest knowing that God actually cares. You can live without fear of rejection because you are already known. You can live a life that is open and use it to get into the personal lives of others so they can see a God who cares through you. These are incredible truths that we get to live out. As we imitate God and his personalness, we can be personally vulnerable with others and we can live without fear. And for those of you still not in Christ, you need to know that God is willing to have a personal relationship with you but your personal sin is keeping you from it. 
but your sin did not keep him from pursuing you, pursuing us. Just a little hint. Like, we're going to go a lot faster. Obviously, you're like, man, this is a whole circle. It's going to take us forever. But I want you to know this. that As we kind of rapid fire through these, um, I really do want you, instead of trying to learn all of this, I want you just to worship him. Um, you think about, like, with, with Courtney, my wife. I can come to her and say, I really love you. And that would be sweet, right? That's a nice thing to say. But what means more is whenever to someone that you love, you're able to tell them why. Like you think about, I love you because of this. So what I've been trying to do to get these attributes kind of deep in my soul is use these as a prayer guide to actually pray to God for specific things about him. So that's what I would challenge you to do tonight. If you try to take notes, it's going to be a, maybe a nightmare. Um, I know Sarah Canterbury heard that, though, and she's like, I'm about to take all these. Yep, she's got a journal. Um, she, every time I say that, she's ready to challenge it. Um, but for the rest of you that can't ride 100 miles an hour, I would challenge you to just praise and pray to our God tonight. That's the point. Next attribute, God is grace. He seeks our greatest good even at his own cost. All the good that he does for us is based on his love, not our works to get his attention. He gives unearned forgiveness for sin. He supplies every need that we have. He sustains us in every hardship. He overcomes our sins, our sufferings, our weaknesses, and sustains us in him. This is grace. Look at it in the word. 1 John 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Here it is. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, love, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So what does this mean for us? This means that we can know that God has forgiven every sin you don't need to forgive yourself. I know people think that. That's not in the Bible. To say that I believe God has forgiven me, but I still need to forgive myself is to say that his grace is not enough. His grace only abounds. He paid the price once for all. You can live above and without guilt and shame. Only attacks from the enemy now because of grace. So how do we live this out? How do we imitate God? We love one another. We move toward one another. We lead with grace and connect with people before we correct them. And we forgive one another aggressively. And for those of us still not in Christ, this isn't about getting your act together. Jesus has been sent. His work is finished. His life, death, and resurrection is all grace. God is good. He is the ultimate standard of what good even is. Anything that we call good is only good because it reflects God's character. You can't over-exaggerate His goodness. He is the ultimate expression of it, and He is the standard. Psalm 107. I love this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's us. Whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and south. So what does this mean for you that God is good? It means you can rest knowing, listen, that every single thing that has happened is for your good, even if you can't figure it out right now. 
you can even know what good actually is. How do we live this out? What does it mean to imitate God and his goodness? One, it just means that you get to delight in him. He isn't a cruel dictator. He is good, which means his commands are for our good. You need to hear that. If you understand and believe and totally go abandon to the fact that God is actually good, you will see his commands as for your good. And you can be confident when following God's commands rubs against your social circles or even the culture at large, you can be confident because we know what is good. And for those still not in Christ, the standard of goodness is God. And you don't meet it. The Bible shows us that we don't even meet our own definitions of good, let alone God's. You are guilty, but He is good. He made a way for you to come to Him and experience and know His goodness. God is patient. God is patient. He is slow to anger, and He allows time for repentance and change. He doesn't meet every failure. Listen, he does not meet every failure with immediate deserved consequences. He is not rushed. He only acts what is perfectly right and good to do so in the exact perfect time that it should be done. You can praise him because he is patient. See it in his word, Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is patient. So what does that mean for you? You can know that God will not give up on you. You can know that God will never get tired of hearing your prayers. You get to know that he will never stop being there for you, even though you continue to screw this thing up. My gosh, if you will leave here believing that the God who saved you is a patient God, it will change you forever. You won't look at your mistakes the same way. He is patient with you. How do we live this out? People got to know that God is patient. What are we going to do on our campus tomorrow when we go to class? You got to be patient with other people. Don't let their consistent mistakes mess you up. Take the long view of humanity. See them as God sees them. You need to be, listen, Christians need to be a safe place for people to make mistakes. Never justifying sin, ever, but refusing to handle mistakes the same way the world does. How does God respond to sin? Grace, patience, kindness. And also, you can stop getting so offended by people who don't know Jesus. He was patient with you. You be patient with them. And for those that are still not in Christ, if you are breathing right now and not in hell, God is clearly patient with you. This is true. The moment that we have all sinned and failed God is the moment that he could have justly punished you. But you're here right now with a chance to repent. It's a patient God. The next quadrant is the attributes of essence. I love these. I love the other ones, but these are good too. Okay, let's look at the next part. God is omnipresent. I love this. What that means is that God is everywhere, 
all of the time. <laughs> he is not limited by space or time. He is equally present with all of his attributes all of the time. He never has to regroup or regather himself. You can praise him for that. God is here and he is also everywhere, all at the same time. Let's see it in his word. I love this. Psalm, Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So what does this mean for us? How are we going to behold God in his omnipresence? You need to know and worship him because you are never alone. No matter what, God sees and hears and cares. You don't have to go to the woods to connect with God. That's amazing. Like, some of you, I know, you've met God in the woods, and that's great. But what I'm saying is, we don't have to. He's here. He's everywhere you are. You can take the wings of the morning, whatever that is, and go somewhere else. And he's always all there. You're never outside of his caring, loving sight. And listen, some of us get so caught up in thinking that because God met us at some conference or in some camp experience, that that same God is not there, but the same God that was at CrossCon is the same God that is here. It's the same God that will meet you in the morning. He's everywhere. So how do we live this out? How do we imitate God in his omnipresence? One, you can be present with others. Put down your phone and look people in the eyes. Slow down and know people. Some of you can't do ministry because you're just only concerned about the next thing. Obviously, we can't imitate God and become omnipresent, okay? We're all here. But in a way, we can imitate these glorious things about God in the way that we are present with people. We can show off the presence of God. And for those that are still not in Christ, he has seen every single one of your sins and shame, and he still loves you and sent Jesus for you. You didn't do that one sin in secret because God was there. Next, God is eternal and unchanging. He is free from time and the effects of time. He is already, get this, this is going to blow your mind. He is already in the future. He is still in the past, and he is here right now. And he has, he has always been exactly as he always will be. Culture does not change him. He has no need to update his word or update his thoughts on anything. He's already in the past and he's already in the future. Look at this in the word. This is incredible. Isaiah 46. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. And there is no other. I am God. And there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. So what does this mean for you? You can know that what he says is always what is absolutely best. And you can know that he will always be exactly as he is. His promises will not change. He's outside of time, perfectly present and eternal and unchanging forever. So how do we live this out? How do we imitate God? We need to be consistent. In our actions, we need to be content because God is always the same, even when we feel like things are not going well. And our values should not change that guide our life because His Word stands. 
And for those not in Christ, you need to know that He's eternal. Sinning against an eternal God deserves eternal punishment and you can come to Him by faith. Next, God is beauty. He's beauty. He is the sum of all desirable attributes. Everything that creates awe and joy originates in God. All beauty we see in life is a mere reflection of His beauty and His character. Psalm 27, 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. So what does this mean for us, to behold Him in His beauty? You need to know that God is the most satisfying treasure and joy. We can know and experience true beauty, not what culture sells us, sells us as beauty. We can know that true beauty comes from God. So how do we live this out? How do we imitate God's beauty? We do need to learn how to not base other people's value on their physical appearance. We have to learn to appreciate and know true beauty. We have to value people as God values people. And we need to learn to value beauty in God's creation. There you woods people. You got it now, all right? Part of learning to imitate in the beauty of God is to understand and appreciate the beauty that he has all around us. And for those of us still not in Christ, you are seeing beauty in all the wrong places, and sin is ugly. And the beautiful gospel is yours if you will take it by faith. Next, God is blessed. God is infinitely happy. He has no needs and no wants. He is completely and totally satisfied, always has been, and always will be. 1 Timothy 6, which he will display at the proper time. He, talking about God, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He's blessed. What does this mean for you? You can know that heaven is a place of full joy because God is there. God truly has the fullest life possible for us, not in prosperity and comfort, but in happiness in Him. You can know that God doesn't need you, but He wants you. So how do we live out the blessedness of God? How do we imitate God? You can live a life of contentment. You need to not find your happiness in anything but God. You can fight for your joy in God and find your satisfaction in Him alone. And apart from Christ, for those of you who still don't know Him, you don't get the blessings of God, you just get the cursings of God. But you can have His blessing through Jesus. The attributes of wisdom. God is order and peace. God operates in perfect order and without confusion. He is never worried about completely upholding the entire universe. I love that. He's sustaining you right now with breath in your lungs and making Saturn do what it's supposed to do. And he's not tired. He can do it, no problem. It's perfectly peaceful and ordered. 1 Corinthians 14.33, it's a short one, but I think it's good. It says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So what does this mean for us? It means you can trust that God's way of life is what will bring you peace. You can be confident that God is working His plan perfectly, even when you might be confused. If you can behold Him for this attribute when things seem confusing, you'll know that He has a plan. So how do we live this out? How do we live out, imitate the order and peace of God? We need to live a life of self-control. 
we can have order and peace in our lives. We will behold him, and as he makes us more like him, we can obey him in these areas. You need to have a life of wisdom and of order. It's not good to live in chaos, and God is inviting us in to his peace. And for those of us still not in Christ, your life is nothing but chaos. Even in your best days, you have a chaotic soul that is apart from Christ, but you can have peace with God. You can. It's really possible through Jesus. Next, God is truth. He is the final standard of truth. He created the reality of truth, and He never contradicts Himself. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. So what does this mean for us? That you can actually know truth. You can be confident and bake your life on God. You can live based on absolute morals and truths. So if that's how we behold it, what does it look like to imitate truth? Number one, maybe it's obvious, but we need to tell the truth. <laughs> even when it's scary, even when it's inconvenient, and even when it doesn't work in our favor. And you need to not be ashamed of the truth that you know. You need to seek the truth wholeheartedly. And for those of us still not in Christ, you're being deceived by lies. But Jesus calls himself the truth, and the truth is in the gospel, and the truth will set you free. Next, God is just. God shows perfect equity. He does not pick favorites. Every moral injustice will be paid for, either at the cross or in hell forever. And he cares about the fair treatment of all people, no matter what. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. How do we behold God and his justice? You need to know and cherish that God will not let any evil go unpaid for. You can know that the ones who are in Christ will not be ashamed even if the whole world turns against us. You can know that God always does exactly what should be done in any response to moral evil. So how do we imitate God and his justice? We need to be fair and balanced in our interactions. We need to fight for the justice and dignity of all people. And you need to not be racist or sexist in any of the ways that you handle yourself. God is a God of justice. He shows no partiality. And as we imitate him, the world sees a glimpse of that in us. And for those of us not in Christ, you need to know that God is perfectly just. And you're in sin. And he could send you to hell and still be just and good and righteous. But he satisfied his own justice for you on the cross. And you can come to him in faith. God is omniscient, another one of the omni ones. I love this. God knows everything. <laughs> all things possible and all things actual. And God never forgets anything. He knows exactly how all things work. He sees and acts on all truth exactly as things are perfectly all the time. Psalm 139, 1 verse 1 through 4. I love this. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. He knows every... No one's smarter than God. There's not a thing that he needs to learn. That's the God that we get to worship. He actually knows everything. So what does this mean for us? How do we behold God and his omniscience? You need to know that you are completely known and completely understood. 
You've been made on purpose and exactly as you should be. And nothing happens to you that caught God off guard. How do you live this out? You need to pursue the mind of God. And you need to trust God's word on all things because he knows all things. And for those of us who still apart from Christ, you need to know that God knows you, knows all of your sins and failures, and he loves you, and you can come to him by faith. Attributes of power, last quadrant. God is free. He is independent of his creation, and he does whatever he wants. The only being with true free will is God. Can prove it to you because none of you right now can become a nine foot gorilla if you wanted. You can't. You make choices, but your will is not free. You can't be whatever you want to be. God can do whatever He wants. You can't. Psalm 115.3 Our God is in the heavens, He does all that He pleases. What does this mean for you? You can just simply worship him. (laughs) You can't control him or make God owe you anything, but there's freedom in God. And you can live with no fear because no evil outside force can manipulate our God. How do you live this out? True freedom is not doing whatever you want. It is being able to do what you were made to do. And now in his freedom you can do what you were made to do, which is joyfully obey this free God. In our sin, our will was not free. Our will was bound to sin. But a free God basically just flexed on our sinful desire. And when he saved you, he freed you up to actually live in freedom. For those of you still not in Christ, your perceived idea of free will, you need to know that you only choose to reject our God. And in his free will, he decided to do what was necessary to bring you back to him. You can come to him in faith. Next, God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. He is completely capable of anything he would ever want to do. (laughs) He's never tired or weary, and he's never intimidated. Ever. Now, the common objection is, well, can can God uh, make a rock so heavy that even God couldn't lift it? That's just nonsense. God doesn't deal in nonsense, okay? God does perfectly in his character, but he can do whatever he wants. There is nothing too hard for him. Luke 137, it's a little beautiful little truth about God. Right there in the Christmas narrative, maybe you'll get to it in December. It says, For nothing will be impossible with a God. Nothing is impossible. What's this mean for us? How do we behold him and his, his omnipotence? You can live knowing that any sin you have can be overcome. You can live knowing that any suffering you go through can be redeemed. This means he can do whatever he wants as we join him in his work to take this campus. Like, for those of you that are missionally minded, that you're not satisfied with this room not being packed with people who don't know Jesus, you need to know that any of the great dreams that we have to reach this campus in our city, God is powerful enough to do it. He can. Nothing is intimidating to him. So how do we live this out? How do we live out and imitate God and his omnipotence? Because clearly we are not all powerful, right? You all need to sleep tonight. Fair? We need to rest. We aren't like God in this way. 
But how do we live out this? How do we worship him in our obedience to this? We need to pray bigger prayers than we could ask or imagine. We can love in power by being okay with our weakness. God's power frees us to be weak to the world and strong in him. And we should live in complete confidence in all things. And for those still not in Christ, if you're still in your sin, the most powerful being to ever exist is your enemy. But instead of crushing you, he crushed Jesus. And in that same power, raised him from the dead so that you could come to him and know him. Next, God is sovereign. He is the supreme ruler of all of his creation. He is the author of all history. He is completely in direct control of every single detail that has ever happened in history and will ever happen forever. He is king of all. See it in his word, Daniel 7, 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. He is sovereign. What does this mean for you? How do you worship God in his sovereignty? You can know that there is a perfect guiding purpose in your life. You can know that every single detail is on purpose for his glory. You can even hope when nothing else makes sense. So how do we live it out? You live confidently. You ask him if maybe once you graduate, you don't stay here and live a comfortable American dream life, but you move across the ocean. You go do missions because God is sovereign. You do hard things and obey him when it makes no sense because God is sovereign. You can submit to him all things and do life his way, and we can do ministry knowing that victory is guaranteed. And for those still not in Christ, God is working all things out for his glory. And in his sovereignty, he crushed his son for your salvation, if you will believe. You can submit to your sovereign king and stop believing the lie that you are sovereign because you're not. Last one. God is wrath and jealous. God protects his honor and hates anything that seeks to replace his supremacy in all of life. He is displeased with anything and anyone that worships anything other than him. He is angry at sin and he is jealous for the affections of his people. Exodus 34. Look at this. This is an angry God. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. That was like an idol tower. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, these are the ones that have hard edges to them, right? Like, I thought being jealous was a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. If I go home and there's another man cuddled up on the couch watching Netflix with Courtney, I'm going to be furious. And none of you would say, man, he's just a little too jealous. Why? Because it is not an evil thing to be jealous for what is good and right. And what is good and right? God's glory and anything that robs that, he is angry at. So what does this mean for you? You can know that God will do anything, I love this, to bring you back to full worship of him. You can be humbled by the wrath that Jesus took for you. His extreme hatred for sin can become yours as you become jealous for his glory in your own life. If he's bringing hard times to get your hands off of some sin, it's because he wants you back. He is jealous for your affections. How do we live this out? How do we imitate God's jealousy? We have to live for the glory of God alone. Everything we do or think or say is for his namesake, not ours. You must get angry about the right things. 
for things that defame the name of Jesus and his glory, and you must hate your own sin with God-inspired hatred. And for those still not in Christ, this wrath is terrifying and it's aimed at you. But Jesus took the wrath for you. Our primary word whenever we live out the wrath of God is not wrath coming, but wrath absorbed. And all of the wrath, if you will come to him by faith, was taken by Jesus for you. And all of these attributes are perfectly displayed at the cross. The the goal of this is not to make you feel bad and like you can never imitate God. Because hopefully one of those sounded hard to you. But I want you to see something beautiful in these. I want you to worship God. I want you to behold Him. All of these attributes are glorious. But if you downplay one, you aren't worshiping our God. He wants you to display Him to the world because they need to know Him. But you miss the whole point of these if you miss Jesus. All of these attributes are perfectly summed up in Him and His cross and resurrection. He perfectly shows off the attributes of God in a way that saved His people, that saved you. I want to show you. In His holiness, Jesus perfectly displayed God to the world. He deserves all praise and worship and we fail Him. We needed Jesus to even worship Jesus. God is personal. He came to His creation as one of us. God is grace. We deserved hell. Instead, we got Jesus. He took our punishment. We got his life. God is good. Jesus is the perfect standard of good, and he found it a good thing to die for you. God is patient. Jesus took the brutality of the cross, and instead of killing you the moment that you sinned, God was patient with you and brought you into a relationship with him through Jesus. God is omnipresent. Jesus decided to enter our time and presence and space, and Jesus did not count this as something to be grasped, and he died for you. God is eternal and unchanging. The death and resurrection is for all time, once and for all. You can't out the work of Jesus. What he did is done forever. God is beauty. Jesus is beautiful. His life showed the world what a true, full life was. And somehow, the unjust murder of the most innocent man to ever live became beautiful. And now we sing songs about the wonderful cross. God is blessed. And because of Jesus, we get his blessings while he took our cursings. God is order and peace. His plan throughout all history was to perfectly sum up himself in Jesus. And now through him, we can have peace with God. God is truth. Jesus called himself the way, the life, and the truth. And the ultimate display about the truth of who God is was when Jesus died and rose again for your salvation. God is just. Jesus worked for justice, and then he died to pay for the sins of all people who would come to him by faith. God is omniscient. God knows everything about you, and Jesus still died. And there's no sin that he didn't cover because he already knows. God is free. Jesus could do whatever he wanted, but he chose to use his free will to follow the Father's will to die for you and rise again so you could have salvation. God is all-powerful. Jesus had all power, but laid it aside to take the full punishment from an all-powerful God. In his power, he literally defeated the devil, the death, and our sin by his resurrection, and now we get to live in that power. And God is sovereign. According to the perfectly orchestrated plan, Jesus died for his people. The cross and resurrection was plan A. And in his sovereignty, he has opened our eyes to his glory. God is wrath and jealous. 
Jesus came as the jealous groom for his people. He took our wrath and he bought us back to be with him forever. As the band comes back up, I want to just close with this. Probably the most incredible part of examining these things about God is that we did not even scratch the surface of who he is. (laughs) It's actually the things that weren't said that are probably the best because he's inexhaustible. So whenever we worship him, we are worshiping a God that we might not ever perfectly understand this side of glory. But we get to know him because of Jesus. All of these attributes perfectly displayed in who he is. And then he sends us and commands us to imitate him because the world needs to know. That's the point of ministry. We have a God that's revealed himself to us and he tells us to go imitate him to our neighbors where we work, live, and play, as Jana mentioned. This is the point. And one day he's going to return and the whole world will, will know. But in the meantime, let's praise him in desperate worship and then go show everybody that we know what our God is like. Literally, the one thing in life that is too good to be true is actually true. Let's pray. Father, um, you are beyond comprehension. (laughs) Um, You are so much bigger and better than we could ever put in a sermon or a book or in our own thoughts, Lord. But I pray now that you would just give us a glimpse something that you spoke through your word tonight would just light our hearts on fire that we would worship you rightly Lord that we would have a full view of who you are Lord help us to sing help us to sing like people who are actually free who actually know you and when we leave here God I pray that tonight is the end of a life that is bored with you kill that sin in us God You are this good, and yet you stoop so low to know us. Help us to live like that's true. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.